You're listening to Freedom Christian Fellowship's podcast. What a great morning. Alrighty, I love that. I love when family comes around family and just loves on them. And we're going to be excited to see and hear about all the great things that Sean Jr. is doing. And I'm sure we'll get updates. I'm sure Brandy will be beaming, showing us pictures. And, you know, are they going to have to shave your head, man? Oh, I don't know. Oh, no. Okay. Wow. Good choice, man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was an army brat. And so I understand that it's a, it's a good, it's a good thing. We're so thankful for um, your choice to honor our country and for everybody. All right. So, um, well, this morning we are continuing in just for a few minutes. We're going to spend just a few minutes talking uh, today as we continue in our series um, patterns and these patterns that we've been talking about are the design that God has given us to thrive and to have life. To thrive and to have life. God gave us patterns in his word so that we can have life, all right? So that we could uh, enjoy the fullness of who he is on this earth. And I'm so thankful for that, that Jesus didn't come and just said, okay, I got your afterlife taken care of and you're just on your own in this world. Good luck. He didn't do that. That was not his sign out message. That was not the ascension speech. Thank the Lord. But he said, listen, uh, we know that through the word of God that there are patterns that God has given us to keep us uh, in the revelation of the fullness of God. And these patterns are not just steps that we take. They're not just step by step. A lot of times in our culture, what we do is that we just look for steps. Just tell me what to do. That's the common phrase that we say, right? Something's going wrong. Just tell me what I need to do. Tell me what I need to do. You can understand you get in debt. Well, you need to save some money. You need to cut back on bills. But listen, if there is something in your heart that is causing you to spend money or not to balance things, and unless that gets rectified in your heart, you know, and some of you understand what I'm saying, you'll, ne- you'll never be able to save enough money or, or stop uh, cutting down bills and all that stuff. And so the way that God has designed patterns is to deal with our heart. They deal with our heart. So that they can begin to affect the outward life that we live. So last week, we started talking about the pattern for our soul. And I want to just finish this particular pattern up. And this is part two for the pattern of our soul. And we talked about a couple of things last week out of Genesis chapter 2 that God gave. It's so interesting to me because when God created all of the majesty of the universe and the earth and everything beautiful that we we know is there some of it we've seen some of it is yet to be seen that he looked and he said all right I'm not done I need to create someone in my image and so the scripture tells us that he he formed Adam out of the earth and so there was a form of Adam and if you've ever played with Play-Doh look you 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 put together the form but the form was empty. The form had no life until God breathed into Adam and life came. And that very breath was Adam's soul. God breathed into Adam his soul. And that was the part of man that was created in the image of God to connect with God, to be able to receive from God our spirit and our soul. And so Adam began to thrive and live and God gave Adam a few commands and said, listen, Adam, I want you to do something. I want you to learn to walk with me every day. We talked about the importance of rest. But then God did something else that sometimes we misunderstand in the Bible is that he told Adam and Eve that there's one tree that you're not to eat from. 
the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you think about it, and oftentimes when you hear people talk and, and they get into these deep philosophical things, they go, oh, hey, why didn't God just leave that tree out of the garden? It doesn't make sense. That feels a little sadistic that God would give all the majesty of the garden and just put one thing in because isn't human tendency just to go after the thing that we can't have? But the reality is it wasn't sadistic, it wasn't mean-hearted, and it was absolutely necessary. And here's why. It's because there is no love, zero love, without choice. We have to choose. It's actually more cruel for God not to put the, the choice of something else in the garden for Adam and Eve than it was for him to put it in there. It was crueler, been crueler for God not to give Adam the choice to love him because that's simply not love at all. If you have a spouse or you have kids, you can't just look at them and say, love me, love me, love me. You can't do it, right? Love is a choice. Love is a decision. And so God put a necessary no in the garden. And for every one of us, if our soul desires rest, we have to have a necessary no it's not the easiest thing to receive. We don't necessarily like it. And these aren't always sinful things, not things that we know are blatantly sinful. It's obvious. Those are obvious necessary no's. But the reality is, is that we need to say no to some things that are deteriorating our soul. Some things in the way of time or relationships or the way that we are spending our money. These are things that erode at our soul and cause anxiety. And so I want to finish this talk today and I want to talk about the pattern for our soul when it comes to the storms of our life. When it comes to our storms of our life. And so I'm going to pray before we get started. And just so that we have hearts ready to receive. That we can be joyful in this message and receive the word of the Lord gladly. Alright? So let's pray. Father, thank you in the name of Jesus that when we come to your word, your word is life. And so let your word be life today. Open up our hearts and our minds. Prepare our souls to receive everything that you have for us. Let us receive it gladly today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. When I, uh, about third grade, I met what I will say is my lifelong best friend. Uh, his name is Brian Brooks. And um, literally, he walked into church one Sunday. His family was new to the church. I grew up in this church. I feel like I was born on a chair at the church. You know, like that's all the church I ever knew. He walked in. We both had best friends. And we looked at each other. And we're like, hey, you want to be my best friend? I'm like, yeah, it was just like meant to be. We're like, all right, we're best friends now. Matter of fact, we went into the church bathroom and he fought my old best friend. Like that's, that's, how, that's how real it was. Now, I'm not joking. He bloodied his nose. It was great. My church is scrappy. And so I, I grew up with Brian since uh, third grade and I still talk to him to this day. And uh, now what I'm about to tell y'all, I need to know in confidence that y'all are not going to readily share this to everybody else, coupled with the fact you're not going to judge me, all right? This is really important. I'm not sure my kids even know this story, so I may have some fallout on this, but I'm going to take a risk. We were not the brightest kids ever, all right? This, this is the way it is. We were kind of dumb, like when it came to common sense type stuff. And so when we got to be about 14 years old, um, my, my best friend Brian had an older, has an older brother named Jay, and Jay's actually spoken here, and Jay is also a pastor, all right? So, so just so you know, I need to qualify this. Um, well, we just like, you know, we had this idea. We're like, okay, hey, um, what would be really fun to do and, and really not make a lot of sense? 
So we're like, okay, A plus B equals get on top of the roof of a car and hold on while somebody else drives it. And we begin to roof surf, all right? Now, do not do this at home. I will personally come to any teenager's home and whoop your butt if I hear about this, all right? And so we would get onto the roof and hold on for dear life. And you would think, like, we would have enough common sense to say, this is a terrible, terrible, terrible idea, but we didn't. (laughs) We just did not have enough common sense to do this. And so we would go find a cemetery that was kind of closed off-roading, and and we would jump on, somebody would jump on, and somebody would get in and start driving, and and we would take turns, and we would hold on. And you you would, man, listen, we didn't know how, the person on the roof did not know how fast you were going. And it was really a cruel thing because you think that like 15 miles an hour isn't fast, but 15 miles an hour when you're trying to hang on to the top of a car roof is really, really fast. Now, let me sideline, give you a little bit of context to my friend Brian Brooks, all right, and his brother Jay. They grew up in the ghetto, in the ghetto, right? Um, Baltimore City. If you don't know me, I'm originally from Washington, D.C. And, and uh, my best friend grew up in Baltimore City, like what you see on the news, Baltimore City, row home Baltimore City. And so, um, didn't have a lot of common sense. And so, we, we would get onto the, 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 the roof and we would hold on. And inevitably, my best friend Brian thought it'd be funny just to hit the accelerator faster and faster and faster. And you can only hold on to a roof on the top of a car going so fast. And we would be screaming and kicking the top of this thing and be like, slow down, slow down, stop, stop, stop. And what happens when you stop when you're going so fast? (laughs) Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> this this was my young adult teenage childhood right there. But isn't it funny sometimes that's how life gets? Isn't it funny sometimes in life that we're holding on to life on our fingertips, not strapped into any kind of security? Wondering when it's going to stop, wondering when it's going to let us off, wondering how we have any kind of control, wondering if there's any kind of safety, not knowing at all where any peace or surety or security is going to come from. And see, Jesus actually talks about this. He actually brings us into the context of this because he understands, even though my story was really stupid and dumb, that oftentimes life mirrors that same thing for us, that we feel out of control in our life, that we feel like when we go through the storms of our life that we have nothing to hold on to, no anchor, no peace, nothing. And the thing that is attacked in that time when we are going through the storms of life, listen, I want to tell you something because this can set you free. It's not your spirit. It's not your spirit. It's your soul. It's your soul. It's your feelings. It's your emotions. It's what you're thinking. It's what you're going through. It's your questioning. It's your fear. It's your anxiety. It's your uncertainty. Those are the things that are being battered, that are holding on for dear life. And ultimately, when those things do not become satisfied and be brought to peace, what takes place is it begins to erode at what and who we believe God is. And so what God desires to do to get us into a place of 
steadfastness, even through the storms of our life, is to sure up our soul. He desires to sure up our soul, even in the midst of storms in our life. He gives us a pattern for that on how we can actually maintain peace and maintain joy and understand where God is. And isn't that so important? Because that's probably the one thing that we really desire above all things in the midst of a storm is to say, God, where are you? And God gives us a pattern on how to understand that. So I want to show you a story here, a familiar story in Matthew 14. I'm going to read it to you, and then I'm just going to throw a little bit of context on it. And I know most of you have probably heard this story before at some point in your life, or you've even read it. In Matthew 14, 24 through 31, it says this, And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Meaning this, they're about to go down, 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 right? The waves were coming against it. It was hitting them hard. They were fearful. This is Jesus' disciples in the boat. Verse 25, it says, Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Walking on the lake. That's actually not true. That's not true. Jesus wasn't walking on the lake. Jesus was walking on the waves, man. Right? Why? Because if the waves were hitting the boat, Jesus was walking on them. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Do not, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, Tell me, come out to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and called him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? Here we see a story of Jesus going out and meeting his disciples when they're in a crisis situation, a fearful situation, a stretching, trying situation, one that they thought they were going to die. They were arguably facing a storm in their life. But Jesus in this story gives us reasons why we can trust him in the midst of the storms of our life. And the first reason that we have that Jesus gives us, and I'm going to throw a little context on this. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. The first reason is that Jesus understands. He understands storms. He understands when things hit your life. So wait a minute, Pastor, what do you mean? He's a son of God. He didn't have to deal with all the stuff we had to deal with. He didn't have to face the things. He understood. He had a higher revelation. You know, like he knew God. He interacted with God, right? And so he had like an unfair advantage when it came to living on this earth. And isn't that sometimes a mentality that we take when it comes to Jesus? Like somehow Jesus had the upper hand because he wasn't just man. He was also God. And so somehow he got it like better than every, every one of us. I want to just give you a little bit of context to the day in particular in which we're talking about where Jesus walks on the waves and give you a little bit of context to Jesus' day because this is arguably, probably one of the worst days in Jesus' ministry that he ever had. And here's how we know that. Because in this same chapter, what we see earlier in the day, Jesus is kind of woken up with some terrible news. He's woken up with the news that his beloved cousin and probably his best friend had just been beheaded by Herod. John the Baptist had just been beheaded. 
And so you got to understand that Jesus, when he captures this news, being fully human, having probably lost the person, the friend that was the closest to him in all of his life, the person he had grown up with, the person that he had celebrated feasts and festivals with, the person who their families got together and they shared things, they shared birthdays, that they walked through their teenage years together, that they walked through the ministry together, that they acknowledged one, one another's ministries, that they encouraged one another. He just got news that this guy had not just died, but had died cruel, cruelly. He had been beheaded. And the scripture tells us that Jesus just kind of walked off and went to go pray. That he just went to this place where he just kind of went into a place of solitude and he prayed. But then the next thing that happens, and this is really unfair, because if it were me, it wouldn't have happened this way, is that Jesus actually sees some folks and he begins to love them. He begins to minister to them. And as he begins to minister to a few, a multitude shows up. And he begins to minister and meet all of their needs to the place that he spends all day ministering to these folks. And we know this story too, don't we? Because it gets to the end of the day and the disciples are like, Jesus, send them home. They're going to be hungry. And he goes, no, you guys go feed them. You guys go feed them. And they feed the multitude. That's that story. Same day. Because if it was me, here's how that would work, is that I would close all my and cancel all my ministry assignments. I would be done. I would just take a little sabbatical. I would close off. I would go away. I would just stop for a while. And you would too. Because that's a normal response when you get terrible news, isn't it? That's the context of Jesus' day. And then as evening comes, he goes and says, listen, i got to go spend a little bit more time with the Father. And so you guys head across the lake here. I'll meet you on the other side. And here's what I believe is happening here. Is I honestly believe that this story that we just read is not about the lake. It's not about the boat. It's not about the waves. It is about how Jesus tackles the condition of our soul when we go through the craziest things in our life. See, Jesus understands. He understands he doesn't just understand because he's God and he's divine. He understands because he was human and he walked through the same things that you and I walked through. He dealt with the condition of his own soul. And I love, 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 love the Bible for this very fact that it showcases this day that is a terrible day for Jesus. And it shows us how Jesus responded. Because I believe with all of my heart that Jesus was inviting the disciples and therefore inviting us into a better place. A place above the hopelessness of our soul, what we face whenever we walk through the storms of our life. The second thing that we see in this story is this and why we can trust Jesus in the midst of our storms is because Jesus transcends the storms of our life. Jesus transcends the storms of our life. You know, it's funny to me because there's another time that the disciples were in a boat and Jesus actually was in the boat with them and they had another storm that faced them. But the first time it happened, what took place, many of y'all know it, Jesus was sleeping. They wake Jesus up and they're like, oh, don't you care, Jesus, that we're about to die? And they're probably not saying it like that. They're probably screaming it at him. Like, 
like your teenage kid whenever they lost something in their house, you know what I'm saying? Like screaming at you, where is it? You know, don't you care, Jesus? And Jesus just wakes up, probably stretches out and goes, listen, don't be afraid. He calms the water. Everything's good. Now, you got to understand that you, you, this is probably in the, a little bit in the context of the disciples' mind. And isn't this really in the context of our mind whenever we face the storms of our life is that we beg Jesus just to make it all go away? Jesus, just take care of it. Just steal everything. Just eradicate the issues. Just remove that person off into another foreign country. You know, whatever it is. If you, can just, if you can just get rid of it, if it, I would be so good. Like, everything would be so good, Jesus. Just take care of the problem. Remove the waves. And Jesus didn't remove the waves this time, did he? Not at first, he didn't. He transcended them. He walked on them. And he did it because he wanted to teach us something. Is that sometimes more important than the things that are hitting us is where Jesus is. Sometimes more important than the pain that we're walking through is, listen to this please, is understanding where Jesus is in the midst of our pain. That Jesus wants to show up in the midst of our pain and show us that he is greater than our pain. And so we see Jesus walking on the waves and we know that he transcends the storms of our life. This is another beautiful thing that we learn from this story. I know why we can trust Jesus in the midst of our storms. is because when life becomes unclear, when the storms of life make us unclear, Jesus remains the same. Probably the funniest part of this story is that the disciples just decided to go nuts. They just legitimately went nuts. They felt like Jesus went ghostbusters on them. They didn't understand. And it's, it's quite comical if you, if you look and you read the story. I don't know how many of you, when you read the Bible, you try to put yourself in the middle of it and, and just kind of put yourself in the boat there. Put yourself in the, in the place there. I mean, because how natural is it to think that you see something on the water and it's a ghost, right? I mean, you got to be pretty freaked out, don't you? Your mind is heading one direction if you see stuff on the water and you automatically scream out, it's a ghost, right? Who was the disciple that did that, right? Who was the disciple that jumped up and looked, it's a ghost. That guy had his will wrote out. You know what I'm saying? That guy was planning. He was like, dear family, remember me fondly. I'm not going to make it home. If you get this letter, I love you very much. His mind was focused on something else. See, this is what happens when we go through the storms of our life and we begin to feel the pressure of a storm, isn't it? That we begin to get out of perspective. See, we get fatalistic sometimes. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how, how this is going to work out. I don't see any conclusion from this, a positive conclusion. I don't, I, don't, I don't get it. And what Jesus desires to do in the midst of this is not just show up above the storms of our life, and bring us to a place of peace. But he wants us to begin to see crystal clear. He wants us to begin to see him through it. Jesus cried out, it's not a ghost. It's me. It's me. It's me. And immediately when they heard his voice, they understood who it was. 
Because when the storms of of our life hit us, Jesus remains clear. He remains crystal clear, doesn't he? It's who he desires to be. We have to look to him. We have to look to see him. The next thing that happens is this, is that Jesus invites us to overcome in the midst of our storm. In the midst of our storm, Jesus invites us to overcome Peter saw Jesus and he goes, look, if it's you, tell me to come to the water. And what did Jesus say? Jesus did not look back and say, no, just stay in the boat. I'll be there in a second, Peter. What are you thinking? You can't walk on water like me. I'm the Messiah. I'm the water walker, Peter, not you. No, he didn't do that. Listen, what he did is he said, come on out. Come on out on the on the water. Come on out and begin to walk on the water here. Begin to to come out with me. And he invites us to the place of overcoming. And And I honestly believe this is super significant on how Jesus causes us to overcome in the storms of our life. See, because the story would have been so different if Jesus would have just walked into the boat, sat in the boat, looked at him, preached a little mini sermon to him, and calmed everything. But the story doesn't go like that. The story goes, hey, Peter, I want you to come out with me. Come on out with me. I want you to see that just as I've overcome, you can overcome too. And see, this is probably the greatest thing that happens when we begin to trust Jesus as the anchor of our soul in the times of storms. Is that he begins to teach us on how we can overcome. And there's a reason why he does it. There's a reason why he wants us to learn on how to overcome. See, the reality is this, is the storms of life are going to face every one of us. Jesus never promised to totally remove all the storms of our life. But when we don't learn to overcome, what happens is that our hope and our trust in who he is gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And I believe that Jesus understood in order for them to know that I'm the overcomer and because I've overcome, they can overcome I need Peter to get out of the boat and walk on the water too. I need him to exercise something that proves that he can overcome too. I got a smartwatch, and my smartwatch um, does a lot of cool things. I can talk on it, like, you know, like, you know, Inspector Gadget type things, and it's, it's great. But my smartwatch also monitors my steps. And so, like, every time I got a daily step count of 6,000 steps, and so I, I, like when I walk, it'll tell me, good job. And my smartwatch will even smart off to me. And it will be like, when, it, when I'm not moving, it'll be like, get moving. And it has a little sneaker on it. Like, come on, lace up your sneakers and get moving. You're getting lazy. And so I'm like, okay, all right, smartwatch, leave me alone. I'll shake it a few times and be like, oh, get off my back, you know. And so, I, you know, I try to look at it. And sometimes I take it as a challenge. I'm like, oh, where are my steps at? All right, I'm getting close. I'll just walk around a little bit more. Well, this morning, my, my smartwatch, like, tried to ruin my life. It showed up on my wrist, and it buzzed, and it showed me my weekly activity rating. And it said, basically, that I only achieved my goal once last week. And it had all these little, like, a graph on there proving it to me, like, this is how lazy you are, dude. It's like, you, you consistently came under the goal. And then it asked me this question, would you like to lower your goal? I'm like, well, watch this. I'm walking, I'm walking, I'm walking. I'm like, how dare, how dare you suggest that you, for me to lower a goal? 
I'm like, no, 8,000, 8,000, I'm going to do it. Start running. I'm going to figure it out. Listen, when we don't choose to overcome because Jesus overcomes, and again, the reason why we got to get out of the boat is because when we don't get out of the boat, what happens is that our goals, our ability to trust, go down and down and down. And it's like the enemy of the world, enemy of our soul, comes in and says, listen, you want to lower your goals? Maybe God didn't call you to that place. You want to lower your goals? Maybe he's not the overcomer in your life. You want to lower your goals? Maybe he's not the one that brings restitution in your family. Hey, you want to lower your goals? He's, he, he may not be the one who heals anymore. You want to lower your goals? See, because the things... And the promises in our life get challenged in the storms. They don't get challenged when the sea is calm. They don't get challenged when everything is good. We trust Jesus undoubtedly when everything is good. We've got both hands raised. We're dancing and we're praising Jesus. But when the storms hit, we go, where are you at? And Jesus walks out on the waves, he presents himself, he makes himself crystal clear, he denies the fact that he's a ghost, he comes out and then he invites Peter to come out on the water with him because he wants Peter to experience what it is to overcome. So what if this story, like I said, is not about the lake? What if this story is not about the waves or the destination but what if this is a story about how Jesus cares for our soul in the midst of the hardest things that we face in our life? And what if we change our question? What if our question stops being, Jesus, when will the storm be over? When will you make everything okay? When will it all be still? When will there be peace in my life? And the question becomes, Jesus, please show me where you are so that I can know your peace in the midst of this storm. Because what happens when we begin to ask that question is this, is that we learn that we can overcome anything that faces us. And we learn that in spite of anything that faces us, that the callings and the promises of God do not and cannot be shaken in us. And I would argue with you this morning that that's Jesus' top priority and that's the greatest manifestation of love that can ever come to somebody where a storm is raging in your life that you would know that God still loves you, he is still close, and the promises that he has for you are still intact and still remain faithful. And don't get a smartwatch, all right? Let me close with this really quick. Thank you all. Hebrews 6. just want to show you a couple of things. Really quick. Because I don't, I don't want to just get you hyped up on who Jesus' is story. I, don't want, I want you to just think, oh, that's cool. That's a good story. I want, I want to give you something you can, you can grab and take with you, all right? So in Hebrews 6, 16 to 20, it says, People swear by someone greater than themselves. And the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all arguments. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to, their, to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things, which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us 
may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become the high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Let me tell you something. The scripture here says this is that Jesus is the anchor for our soul. And just like an anchor, we don't see where the anchor is. We don't see Jesus with our physical eyes. And it's easy to argue and say, well, look, those disciples there, they saw Jesus. Jesus was there. He was, he was right there. They saw him in the natural. But even though you don't see Jesus with your natural eyes, you see him in your heart. Even though he's unseen, he's steady. Even though he's unseen, he's made an anchor. He has gotten a hold and it, and it doesn't depend on what's raging around it. And that's the beautiful thing about an anchor, isn't it? Is that an anchor goes down until it hits the ground or the sea of the river, wherever you are. And it takes hold of something. It lodges itself into something. And no matter what it looks like topside, that anchor keeps you steady. And here that the writer of Hebrews is talking to a group of people who have made a decision to follow Jesus and they're confused they're making this decision to follow Jesus and they're losing everything. They're losing their jobs. They're losing family members. They're losing their status. Some of them are losing their homes. Some of them are even coming close to losing their lives. And he's telling them to stand firm, to be steadfast. Why? Not because it's the noble thing to do. He's not telling them to buck up, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and, and man up. He's not telling them to do that. He's saying, listen, the only way you're going to be able to do this is by understanding that God himself made an oath to you. And God doesn't lie. He's not like man. See, when God says an oath, and we probably all had somebody give us an oath, and depending upon the character of that person, what happens is they fulfill that oath or they don't. The scripture here says this, God made an oath and he confirmed it in Jesus Christ. He was willing to sacrifice his son. I don't want to get too deep on you, but I want to throw you back a little bit here into the Old Testament. Because there was another situation where God asked another man to give up a son. He asked Abraham to look at Isaac, who was the promise where God gave Isaac to Abraham in his old age and said, Out of you will come a mighty nation. Now, here's the little bit of confusion. And while sometimes we can't understand this, but it's going to make sense here in the passage that we just read in Hebrews. Because God said, Abraham, go up the mountain, take Isaac. I want you to sacrifice him. What? No, no, no. But Abraham does it. He goes and he straps Isaac down. And he's rearing up the knife above him. And the angel of the Lord says, stop. I provided something else. And God says to Abraham, I know that I can trust you. And listen, when we read that, apart from this scripture that we just read here, it makes God look awful. But here's what God is saying. I have confirmed my oath of my faithfulness and the fact that you can trust me as an anchor of your soul based on the truth that I laid down the, my son's life for you that you would know my word is true and I cannot lie. And he says this, that those who put their trust in Jesus and allow it to be an anchor to their soul, they have this. That there's this unrelenting encouragement that comes to them. That there's this encouragement that 
transcends all of the pain of life. And I know pain is real. And I know that there are folks here that have walked through real pain. We all have. And I'm not saying there isn't moments to grieve. And I'm not saying there isn't moments that we, we wrestle with that. And there's not moments of sadness. I'm not saying that. But what I am telling you is that there is a place where sadness comes to an end. And it doesn't rule and reign in you. But it only comes when we allow ourselves to be anchored to Jesus Christ. Because he gives courage. He gives courage. And then it says this, these two truths. The first is that he gives courage. And that he is the hope that holds us firm and secure. No matter what we face on this earth. He is the hope that holds us firm and secure no matter what we face. Scripture goes on in Hebrews here and tells us this, that because of this truth, that Jesus, who he is, is the king of righteousness. And there's a funny, funny name that's mentioned in this passage that we just read, Akizeldek. And who is that? It was the priest in the likeness of Jesus who presented himself to Abraham and made the covenant of God alive to Abraham. And it's a picture of Jesus Christ. And it tells us what Jesus Christ is doing in your behalf day and night, every second of every hour, of every day, is that Jesus is making intercession for you. And here's what that means, is that he is continually reminding the Father of two things, of who you are and how much the Father loves you. He's saying, you see Andy? You see Andy? You see your son? Boy, you love him, Father. And the Father's like, I love him with everything. I sent you for him. I love Andy with everything inside of me. Hey, Andy right now needs peace, Father. He what? My boy needs peace? Okay. Mount up the angels. Let's go. Let's send it down. If he needs peace. See, because <clears throat> I, I'm, a, I'm a decent father. I'm a pretty good father. My kids might debate that. Don't listen to them. But I'm a pretty good father, all right? And if my kids know something, they know, they know this, right? This family secret. Don't share it, all right? Is that they don't go to mom. They don't go to mom. Mom takes care of them. Mom, mom makes sure they're fed and she loves them, kisses them, all that good stuff I do. But look, she, if they need something, if they need something, they know who to come to. They come to dad. Hey, dad, can I please, can I get this? Like, well, how much, how much is it? okay, let's go, you know, and, and that's how it goes normally. Okay, if you need it, why? And, and the scripture says, listen, I, compared to God the Father, I'm not, even, I'm not even scratching the level of being decent because the love of God is so vast. And for whatever reason do we get into our thinking that when we have a great and faithful high priest in Jesus Christ who forever lives to make intercession, what is he doing? He is reminding God of the truth of who you've been created to be, the way that God formed you to be, and he's saying resource them with the fullness of heaven so that they can perform that for which they've been created to do. And so when we feel the storms of life raging all around us, we've got to push into Jesus. We've got to push into Jesus because he is the anchor for our soul. He is the one that makes us firm and steadfast. And so this morning, I'm going to ask you to do these four short things. I'm going to ask you to ask, assess, rest, and resource. You need to take this away today, right now. Write these down. They're simple and they're easy. Something you can do today to, to if the storms of life are raging around you. You need to ask, 
Ask God where he is in the midst of your storm. Invite him into the storms of your life. Ask him for eyes to see and a heart ready to receive. Ask. If you don't ask, you won't have. Ask. God, I want to see you. I want to see you in the midst of my storm. I know you're here. I know you love me. I know you're faithful. I know everything you promised you'll perform. Where are you? Ask. 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 Assess. Assess. What are you walking through right now? Some of the biggest reasons why we don't overcome in the areas of the, our soul and when, when storms rage. And hear this, please. It's because we are focused too much on what's wrong and not what's right. And so here's how you assess. Take a few minutes and write down what you are facing and how it makes you feel. I'm facing this relationship and this is what it's making me feel. In one column, you write down all the things that you're, you're, you're going through, all the storms of your life. You write them down. I'm going through financial difficulty. I'm going through an issue with my child. I'm going through an issue with this. I'm going through an issue at work. Whatever it is, this is what it's making me feel. I'm doubting. I'm fearful. I'm anxious. Whatever it is, and you write it down, and then you draw a line, and then you make a comment and say, God, this is what your word says. And you put it next to everything. And if you don't know what God's word says, you get in your word or you ask somebody. Because you need to know what God's word says. Because if all you see and all you hear and all you think about is everything that's wrong and raging in your soul, that's all your filter will ever be. You've got to get on the side of truth. Rest. Find a time every day, five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 30. I don't care. Find a time every day to shut the world off, to pop on some worship music. Pull it up on your phone. Google music. If you don't got it, download it. Throw on some Bethel music. It's what I listen to. And listen for just 10, 15 minutes. You're not praying. You're not begging God. You're not, you're not petitioning heaven. You're not doing any of that. You are resting you are resting your heart. You're resting your mind. You are resting. If it needs to be the last thing you do or the first thing you do or at lunch break or when you're in the bathroom pretending, whatever, it don't matter. Just do it sometime. Find a time to rest. Some of y'all, I'm talking to the moms out there where you know what I'm saying. You just kind of find a little shelter in the bathroom. Don't judge me. Resource. Keep the truth in front of you. Surround yourself with people who will encourage you will hear you who know and believe God's best for you. We'll encourage that in you. Just stand to your feet, please. This morning, I want to pray for you. I'm just going to pray for you. Our altar is going to be right here. Right here, right where you are. Would you just close your eyes and bow your head? I'm not going to ask anybody to come up. I believe the Lord can meet you right where you are today. But this morning, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you say, Pastor, I am going through some of the biggest storms of my life right now, and I need to see Jesus where I am, I want you to slip up your hand. Slip it up and drop it down. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Father, right now, Lord, you see your sons and your daughters who you love so much that your favor is upon them, that your love is for them. 
Lord, you love who they are. Lord, you understand what they're walking through. Lord, your heart broke. I believe you even worried at times. I believe that you battled even with anxiety sometimes, Jesus. But you took it and you laid it at the feet of the Father. And so, Jesus, I'm asking that you would become crystal clear in the midst of the storms of the lives of the folks who lifted up their hands. And that they would be able to look to you, not at what's raging around them, but they'd look to you and they would see your peace. They would see you as a fulfillment in the anchor of their souls. That encouragement would begin to flood their hearts and their minds. That they would begin to stand, according to your word, firm and steadfast in who you are. Father, I just rebuke any kind of doubt. I rebuke any kind of fear. Lord, right now in the name of Jesus, release, release your hope. Your hope, your hope that comes with the understanding that you are the anchor, Jesus, of our soul. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. If that's you this morning, I just want you to just make a little sign right now. Don't, you don't do anything, but just say, I receive that right now, Jesus. I receive that. I trust that you are here with me. I trust that you are the one who will anchor my soul. I trust, Jesus, that you are leading and guiding me, that you are bringing peace to my heart. I trust you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. 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 The team's going to go ahead and close us out in one song. And after we're done, feel free. Feel free to leave. We will have some ministry teams up here. If you need prayer for anything, if you're walking through anything, we want to pray with you. We love you. We want to believe for God's best for you in your life. This is a place where you're going to be built up. You're going to be lifted up. You're going to be encouraged. And so we look forward to seeing every one of you guys Wednesday night and again Sunday morning.